0: Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 7, verses 12 through 14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for another Sunday morning to come together and be reminded of what Jesus has done for us, of the grace that he's extended to us through the gospel. And of the ways that you are with us, empowering us for life as it shows up at our doorstep through the power of the Holy Spirit with us. And I pray that as we um, think about this passage together this morning, that it would change us, it would transform us, it would open our eyes wider to how good you are And now just for a moment, if um, I would invite you in silence to ask God to speak to you and to teach you through today's passage. Just do that silently where you're at. And these things we ask in your name, amen. You may be seated. So before we get started, I want to give you a couple really quick announcements. The first announcement is that we are not having a service on Sunday, September 12, because a lot of us are going to be at this marriage retreat that we've been uh, advertising. So um, no service September 12. If you completely missed the boat and you didn't know anything about the marriage retreat, Um, or you're visiting and this is the first time you've heard it and you really, really, really want to go, I think it's just about sold out actually, but we might be able to squeeze you in. You'll have to let me know like pretty immediately if you're interested in that. Um, But again, no service September 12th. Uh, The other thing that I want to say is on the back of your bulletin, there's three words, member, neighbor, guide, and those are the words that we are about as a church. These are the ways that we want to practice being a faithful disciple and follower of Jesus. Now, those statements in each of those are very descriptive. Um, They're not meant to give us real practical steps. It just kind of describes what we are about and what we want to see happening uh, this year, we're introducing something new this school year, this fall. Uh, Pastor Al has been working on a document for Southside and has been running it by the staff, and we're going to introduce it to you um, in a, probably in a sermon series that Alex and I take turns teaching. But these are going to be the common rhythms for Southside, and they're going to be very simple ways daily, weekly, and monthly for us to practice being disciples of Jesus together. And some of them are going to be very, very practical. Like one of them is um, reach out to someone, reach out to a Southside with an encouraging text or something like that today, or call a Southsider. And they're just very practical ways that we want to put skin on uh, this idea of being a member and a neighbor and a guide. Um, The other thing that goes along with that is uh, Pastor Al is really really gifted in the area of creating warm community friendly community family-like community i'm not great at that if you've been to my house for a small group you know i get first of all i get really weird after 7 p.m and also it's just it it's difficult for me that's not my area of gifting Pastor Al is super gifted at that. So instead of me trying to oversee our community group leaders and revamp and reimagine how to do that really, really well so that we're actually encouraged by one another, so that we're actually loving one another, I realized, hey, I'm not gifted. He is gifted. Why am I doing this? So he is taking over the the leadership And the pastoral oversight of all of our community groups will probably be adding to those, but he's putting together a really beautiful, gentle rhythm of of ways we can be involved in a community group that's not intimidating. If you're leading one, you're not working 20 hours that week to try to figure out how to do it. It's not oppressive. It's not uh, heavy. Um, He's doing a great job with that. So you'll be hearing more about that this fall. But the goal is to have ways for us individually to participate in the life of the church and to participate in our relationship with God, and also to have formal communities that aren't a drag to go to, that you actually enjoy being there and you begin to love the people that you're with. And as we said yesterday, we have a women's Bible study that meets monthly. Yesterday, we were talking about spiritual gifts. This is also an ideal place for you to recognize and to begin practicing spiritual gifts. And as you'll be hearing later, um, community is hard. It doesn't happen naturally. It's a discipline, actually. Um, and we'll be talking more to that this, this year. So just wanted to give you a heads up on that. There's also going to be some really cool things that I'm looking forward to this, that we're going to be kicking off this fall. This room is actually going to look different. Um, sometime this fall, you'll walk in here, and the room will be different. We're going to see who notices it. Probably most of you will notice, but something's going to be very different about this, this space And we're also launching in January a a group of couples that we're going to call our shepherd team. The men will, um, the requirements will be the requirements that you need for an elder in the church, but they're going to be couples, men and women together, who are overseeing the spiritual dynamics of this church. We're basically paying attention to where the spirit's moving, where the wind is blowing and saying, let's not miss that, let's join that. Uh, and we, we're doing that because I think a plurality um, of leadership is really, really important. Uh, this isn't a kingdom. This isn't my kingdom. I'm not the king. Alex isn't the king. We, we think it's really dangerous to have one or two people in charge of uh, shepherding a church. So we're going to have a plurality of leaders speaking into that, and that'll kick off in January. All right, just a few things that are coming up that I'm, I'm really excited about. So let's start this passage by reviewing last week because last week was really important and if you weren't here for it let me just get you caught up to speed number one and these are in your notes if you're following along ask seek knock three very important words in matthew 7 through 7 through 11 and what we learned last week that these words the grammar um, indicates that You're supposed to be doing this in an ongoing, never-ending way. So always asking, always seeking, always knocking. And those are prayer words. So what we're realizing is that God is inviting us into a conversational prayer life with him where we're always talking to him and bringing the stuff of our everyday life to his attention. He already knows it. He already sees it. But there's something that happens in us, and there's a way that he helps us when we are just in continual conversation with him. That's the first thing that we learned. This is an invitation into conversational prayer life. The second thing we learned about Matthew 7 through seven, 7, 7 through 11 last week is that God always answers our prayers with the greater good. We are allowed asking for immediate relief from any type of suffering. God's not going to necessarily give that to us. We are allowed asking for life to become easier. God's generally going to make us the type of people that don't need life to be easier. And we can handle it as it is. God always gives us the greater good. And I quoted Tim Keller who says, essentially, that if we could see everything that God sees... We would ask for, in prayer, exactly what he gives us. If we could see the whole scope, his whole perspective. And the third thing that we learned is through persistent prayer, God gives us more of the Holy Spirit's help in our lives. And the Holy Spirit, he's a person. He's a third member of the Trinity. His job is to put a spotlight on Jesus and make him look really good and to empower us for our lives. He's a person, but he's the most powerful force in the universe as well. And it's actually living inside of us. It's a, um, it's a spiritual-like force that enables us with joy and with calmness and with power and with strength and with humility and with peace to handle whatever we're going through. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Now these things, this conversational prayer life works its way out in very specific and particular and practical ways. Last night we were cleaning as a family and I have these noise cancellation headphones and I just put those on and I I play this music. We have Spotify, so I play this music that is like instrumental hymns and worship music. And I just set my, I'm really weird, I have to set my timer when I pray to make sure I I. Or else I quit really early. So I set my timer for 50 minutes. It's a little neurotic, I know, but it works for me. So I set my timer for 50 minutes and I'm listening to this music and I'm cleaning and I'm just having a very relaxed conversation with God. As things come to mind, I'll say it and then I'm quiet. And then, yeah, God, here's another thing that I'm kind of concerned about. You say I can give my concerns to you because you care for me. Here's another thing. Here's another thing I'd like to see happen in my life. I'm falling short. Here's another thing that I want to see happen with Southside. I'm just giving it all to you. I'm just going to hand it over to you. And 50 minutes went by actually really, really fast. That's the type of conversational prayer life that Jesus is inviting us into in last week's message. This week is Matthew 7, 12 through 14. I'm going to reread Matthew 7, 12. And it will sound familiar to many of us. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now this is the golden rule my mom and I were talking yesterday and she said, she said, you know, I don't know if they teach the golden rule much anymore. Like I used to hear that all the time growing up. That's like the way that you treat people. It was really important. It was just kind of part of my childhood. And I don't think we do hear it as much, honestly. I think she made a good point. Uh, So we're going to cover it today. Now, when God created human beings, he put, into the dna of almost every human being but human beings in general he put into the dna this natural bend towards respecting other people towards wanting to do good to other people so most people unless they're a sociopath they're reading the good the golden rule and they're like yeah that's what you should do if you would want people to do good to you that's what you that's how you should want to treat other people So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that because God put that into our factory settings, other people said similar things to Jesus before Jesus said it. So in Buddhism, we have this writing, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. In Confucianism, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. In Socrates, do not do to others what would anger you if done to you by others. Now, some people mistakenly argue, well, see, See Jesus must have took it from them. Jesus didn't come up with that. Actually Jesus did come up with that. In the fact that they were saying that these other religions that were cloaked in darkness and lies and that aren't true, these other things stumbled upon this truth because God, Jesus is the one that actually put it in them at the beginning of creation. So what Jesus is saying here, it's not all that shocking. It's not surprising. Like a lot of things we hear Jesus say, we hear it and we're like, "That is, I've nobody's ever said that in history. That's very unique. That's interesting. That's different. This one isn't." What makes this statement so interesting is that he says it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So placing the statement at the end of the Sermon on on the Mount makes it take on a whole new meaning. Because there's something in the Sermon on the Mount that I didn't even see until last week. It's very subtle. you got to really be looking for it. And we've been preaching this since April 11. My birthday, April 11. Write it down in your notes. April 11. So we've been preaching this since April 11. The week after Sunday, we've been preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Life in the Kingdom. And this is actually the first time that I saw this this week. There's this in, invisible thread that weaves through the Sermon on the Mount and holds it together. And it's kind of a hidden theme until you see it. And then you see it everywhere. Let me break it down for you. I'm going to read Matthew 7:12 one more time. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So we see that Jesus is telling us to take into account how we would want other people to treat us as a way of determining how we would treat other people. And this makes the statement very practical and very concrete. Very simple. Because we can just think through every situation in life that we're facing and think, what would I want someone to do for me here? And then that's what I'll do for them. So, Jesus is appealing to our self interest. You following that? He's appealing to our self interest. He's appealing to the things we want. He's appealing to the desires we have for ourselves. What's the problem with that? Does anyone see it? The problem is we often want the wrong things. The things we want actually do more harm than good. So, let's say I can't, I have a hard time, I get really sad. And one of the things that I do to make myself feel better when I'm really sad is eat a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. Not a handful. I'm not talking about a little lunch bag. I'm talking a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. That used to be my coping mechanism in life. Is that good for me? No, I feel good at the time. I really like them. But ultimately, later, I feel worse so what happens if i would plug that into the golden rule do unto others what you would have them do unto you and i notice that you look really sad today and i'm like you know i know exactly what i would want i know what will help you and i go buy a family sized bag of cool ranch doritos and i just say sit down and eat this just eat the whole thing you're going to feel so much better and as you're eating it, it's Cool Ranch Doritos. Everyone is going to feel better. You are going to feel better for a little while, and then later you're going to suffer because I just did you more harm than good. Now, as an aside, it's, this is actually why we have to be careful about taking advice, taking counsel from people who aren't maturing and growing in Christ because a lot of times they're going to give you counsel that, is going to do more harm than good in the long run. Because it's based on what they would want in your situation instead of based on Jesus helping them determine a new way of living. So, here's what I discovered about the Sermon on the Mount this week. And this is in your notes if you want to write down the blanks. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is correcting our destructive desires He's correcting our destructive desires in order to help us know how to treat others. So I went through the entire Sermon on the Mount when Jesus starts giving the ethical teachings and I marked out all of the destructive desires and I listed them for you. I'm just going to read through them. It starts in Matthew 5, 21 through 26 in the ethical teachings is the, the, the wicked, the wrong, the destructive desire to harm or insult someone else the desire for marital intimacy with people you're not married to, the desire to be freed from the autonomous, lifelong commitment of marriage, the desire to appear trustworthy without actually being trustworthy, the desire to avenge yourself, the desire to only love the people you like, the desire to appear righteous without actually being righteous, the desire to devote your life to earthly treasures and security instead of heavenly, the desire to worry and obsess over the needs of your life, the desire to judge others, if we see the golden rule as a type of like ethical equation and you plug into that equation a destructive desire, you're going to harm people. You're going to hurt people. And that's why before Jesus gives us the summary, this summary statement at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses and corrects our destructive desires so that we don't plug those into the equation. Here's the next blank. The golden rule only works when we have godly, good, and righteous desires. It only works when we have godly, good, and righteous desires. So let's plug that into the equation. Let's add that. I'm not adding to Scripture. That's very dangerous. But I'm just adding it for us to see what Jesus is actually saying to us here based on the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So whatever you wish that others would do to you with your new understanding of what is a godly good and righteous desire, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now we're ready to look at the other part of this, Matthew uh, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, For the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So these are in your notes too. There are a couple different ways that we can understand this narrow, harder way. The first one, number one, Jesus is the narrow gate that leads to life. Jesus is the narrow gate. He actually says it in John 10.9 in the NIV. I am the gate. He calls himself the gate. He is the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So the first thing we see is, the, the reason why it's narrow is because Jesus says, I'm the only way to experience this type of abundant overflowing life that includes quality and quantity quantity is it lasts forever it's everlasting quality is it starts now what does it look like for us to live with God inside of us that's what he's inviting us into that's what salvation is that type of life with God forever and Jesus says the only way is me I'm the gate I'm the entrance Jesus stands as a gate in front of the kingdom and opens it and says, it's yours. The kingdom is yours. That's why Paul says crazy things in the Bible like all things are yours. What does he mean by that? All things are yours. You've inherited everything because your father is God and your king is Jesus. And then in John fourteen six, he says it again, I am the way and the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. So the first sense that we see is it is a narrow way because it's Jesus. The only way. There's no other way to find the salvation. There's There's no other name under heaven or earth by which we are saved. The second thing is the life that Jesus leads us into without the Spirit's help would be incredibly difficult. So what makes this life so difficult? I'm just going to read you a few passages in scripture that describe why life is so difficult for Christians sometimes. This first one, if you just want to mark them down, they're not in your notes, but the first one is Mark 8:34. Here's what it says. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, he, like he calls a crowd over to himself. And I'm hoping he's going to say something that sounds like really fun and really exciting. Everybody gets Cool Ranch for the rest of your life as much as you want. Like he could have done that. He could do that. I'm hoping he's going to say something really, really cool that like the entire crowd is going to want to follow him. Make it intriguing. Make it fun, Jesus. What does he say? He yells at the crowd. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. At the heart of the Christian ethic is our two words, self-denial. We're always denying ourselves. That makes it kind of hard. Another passage, John 15, 19, Jesus tells his disciples, if if you were of the world, the world would love you. Sometimes I'm a people pleaser. I really wish that the world did love me. I wish everybody loved me. I really do. That'd be nice. That'd be great. And Jesus is saying, if you were of the world, Greg, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is supposed to be encouragement for his disciples. Like these, this is like his last conversation before he's arrested and he's, he's encouraging them, but he's also telling them, I'm giving you the spirit too. But the world's going to hate you. And then John 16, he's getting to the end of that. He tells them again, I've said these things to you. I've been instructing you about these. And he's done did this long teaching on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit's going to help them. John 14 through 16 is incredible. it will, You could spend the rest of your life studying. It's phenomenal. So he's getting towards the end of that. John 16, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There will be trouble. You're going to face it. Everybody does. You might as well have God with you when you're facing it. There will be tribulation. There will be heartache. There will be suffering. And people who don't believe that are out of their minds. It's just that when we face heartache, we have Jesus with us. We have the Spirit of Christ with us. And then in 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 10, Paul gives just a, a wonderful job description if you are interested in following Jesus and being serious about his message. I'll just read you some of the things he says. Um, uh, we put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments now we're not going to like we're probably not going to face these things like Paul faced them God was making a point with Paul I think Um, but some people do some Christians do we're in a little bubble of Disneyland here in the United States but I have friends in other countries that do face this type of thing riots labors sleepless nights this is in the Bible (laughs) This is Paul describing his life after following Jesus. Before following Jesus, life was pretty plush. After following Jesus, things got really hard. Sleepless nights, hunger. We're treated as impostors, and yet we're true. We're treated as unknown, and yet we're well known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing. Everything. Jesus stands in front of the kingdom and says, it's yours. You get in through me. Are you starting to get the picture that following Jesus can sometimes be difficult? But remember what we said last week. That as we have this conversational life of prayer and we're, we're beginning to realize that life isn't always Disneyland. Because nobody gets out of this alive. As we're starting to see that suffering is a part of it, He gives us more of the Spirit. Doesn't necessarily make it easier, but gives us more capacity to handle it with joy and peace. The Holy Spirit is the wild card. The Holy Spirit enables us to endure whatever life throws at us with a sense of calm strength and joy and peace. And we can even see it in that Second Corinthians 6 passage I just read. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Following Jesus is dangerous. There I said it. <laughs> It can be fraught with hardship and heartache. You might be misunderstood and ostracized. You might be thought of as small minded. You might be ignored. And when God is living in you, you, there's a deeper love that you have for other people, which makes the pain deeper too when you sense the rejection. So why would we choose to live this way? Why would we choose to to follow Jesus? Because Jesus promises not only to help us through with the Spirit, whatever comes our way, He also promises to make up for every bit of suffering we might experience for His kingdom. Every bit of it. Romans 8.18, Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. And in the end, if you really want to experience life to the full forever, He's the only way. He's the only way. In John 6, uh, Jesus just gave a really confusing, difficult, hard to understand, kind of in some ways creepy sounding teaching Especially to the ears that were listening at the time. And he didn't care to explain himself or explain the metaphor. He just let it sit there because Jesus sometimes does that. He says things that are hard to understand and then he doesn't give us the explanation. We're sitting there thinking, they're not going to understand that. You've got to say a little bit more. I'm not even sure I understand. And Jesus is like, it's okay. He just gave a really hard teaching and he capped it off with a statement on predestination. as if that's not controversial enough he ended the teaching with that in John 6 65 he says this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the father he's telling these people who are giving up livelihoods to follow him saying it's not your fault that you love me it's not your fault that you're following me the father put that in you And what happens? People don't like stuff like that. Verse 66: After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many of his disciples, this is above and beyond the 12, there was a whole community that would follow Jesus when he traveled and listened to his teachings. And a lot of them left when he said that. And he didn't go chasing them, he didn't make the message easier. He just said it. And they left. And then he says to the twelve, he looks at the twelve and he says, you guys leaving too? Man, that is bold. And Peter makes up for all the stupid things that he's said. And he says, where else would we go? Who would we go to? You have the words of eternal life. The way of Jesus is sometimes hard. but where else are we going to (laughs) go? Who else are we going to go to? Nobody else has the words to eternal life. And that's today's sermon. Let's pray. Well, Father, Uh, Thank you that you have given us your spirit and you've corrected desires in us that are contrary to what you would have for us so that we actually know how to treat and serve others in a way that's actually helpful, in a way that's actually loving, which means sometimes we don't always say the easy thing because a lot of times, I know when I'm looking for advice, I'm looking for counsel, I want to hear something that's going to make me feel better now. And you don't seem to deal in those conversations. You've redefined what it looks like to be a human being who is thriving. And it looks a whole lot like absolute and surrender and dependence upon you. And so as we learn to lean into that, help us to help other people lean into that reality as well so that we're actually giving good counsel, godly counsel, helpful counsel. We're doing helpful things for other people. And Lord, this way is hard. It is narrow because Jesus is the only way. We don't stutter when we say that. and We don't flinch when we say that. We don't apologize when we say that because you are the author of life. And you know how it works best. But it is difficult sometimes. But you're with us. Thank you that you promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. When we surrender and we put our faith in Christ, we see him on the cross for our sins. We see him resurrected for our eternal life. We see him ascend into heaven to help be with us right now. And we place our faith in you. You give us the spirit. And we're never alone again. And we can handle whatever comes our way. And we get the kingdom. And one day you'll come and you'll bring the kingdom with you in all of its glory. It'll no longer be invisible. It'll be quite visible. And we'll get to experience that forever with you together. What could possibly be better than that? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at SouthsideWorcester.com.